0: Well, I think we've decanted for long enough. It's time to sit back and enjoy two sharp reds with Mark Schwarzer and Ollie Geel.
1: You know the saying, you know what I always like to do. It is that time of the week where myself, Ollie Geel, and of course Australia's third favourite son, Mark Schwarzer, we sit down, we try a nice bottle of red wine, and towards the end of our chat and towards the end of the bottle, we'll compare that bottle to a player past or present, and of course, all the while talking about the comings and goings in the world of the beautiful game. Mark, it's deadline day, uh, and I was stressed, not because of deadline day, um, but I had to get a bottle of wine, because you know, regular listeners would remember last week, you weren't so happy when I, I tried the local Bermudan rum,
0: uh, no, not, and, and I had I'm,
1: a slap on the wrist.
0: Yeah, I'm not, I'm not that I'm not happy that you tried the local uh, Bermudan rum, it's just that you used it as, as a as an option ahead of the red wine on the two sharp reds. I mean, yeah. seriously, have you not read the fine print?
1: You no, know, I wrote the fine print. You know, you've got to keep that in mind. But, yeah, there's you know, obviously, no enough pic- it, there's obviously it.
0: not enough pictures for you. That's I all I can say. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Whoa, it's going to be a dicey one today. But I did manage to get a bottle of red wine and you'll absolutely love this. I couldn't, I, I seriously could not help but get it so you know how i like a 19 crimes you know that's yes. sort of my go-to i also like snoop dog uh and some have said if you combine a snoop dog and a 19 crimes it's possibly the best thing you could buy you know you know in in the supermarket i found it because i am not obviously in uk anymore and i was looking for a while to find this snoop Dogg strain of 19 crimes cali red uh, and because Bermuda ship in a lot from the states, you beauty, I've got it's from the Napa Valley, um, so it's still nineteen crimes ish, um, but it's you know the, the cover's got Snoop Dogg on it, and it's a, it's a Snoop strain, and I, I cannot wait to get into it.
0: Uh, I'm even surprised you're opening it, or have you got have you bought a couple of bottles of wine to keep?
1: No, luckily there's a few on the shelf. I thought I, I needed to ask. I'm like, are these collector pieces, or do you get them in all the time? They said, don't worry, there will always be a bottle. So.
0: And, and uh, price-wise, do you mind me asking?
1: Uh, Snoop has bumped the price up a little bit. You know, if you, if you want the dog, uh, the do double you've got to spend up a little bit. So in pounds, I would say 15. I reckon wow. 15 pounds. Ouch. Yeah. You've got to remember, though, a, a, a loaf of bread is about eight bucks here. <laughs> so, <laughs> so no matter what, uh, you, you're going to be struggling. But it's nice, full and dense with the strong black and blue fruit notes up front, complemented by bright red, slightly candied fruit flavours in the background. The darkly toasted oak ties it all together, along with a slightly sweet finish. Very sweet wines from California in general. Um, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to, to my Snoop Dogg wine.
0: Nice, very good. I'm excited for you, actually. I I wish I was there, be able able to try just with you as well. Yeah, yeah, I I, I, I think it's got a hint of the green stuff as well.
1: Yeah, yes, exactly right. A bit leafy. uh, Now, what what wine have you gone for today, Mark?
0: I've gone for an Italian wine, mate. So I didn't want to go the predictable route of going Spanish. So I've gone for a Tesoro Trovato. It's a Vino Rosso, Stefano Di Blasi, 2014.
1: I think uh, he plays for Juventus, doesn't he?
0: (laughs) Not anymore. They sacked him off. (laughs) It's a cab sav, uh, adds structure and body with a third cast giving freshness. And the funny thing is, actually, it's actually imported and the company that imports it are
1: in Norwich.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's brilliant. uh, That's
1: brilliant. uh, Cheers, Mark. Cheers, mate. Okay. So as I mentioned before, deadline dates all a bit confusing. You're in the UK. I'm in a different time zone. And of course, uh, as a time of recording, um, most people in Australia are currently sleeping Mark. So look, we'll get to, to the confirmed, uh, signings and transfers, uh, in a little bit, but let's start with yesterday's results. So of course, um, few big games on Sunday. We had Chelsea uh, overcoming Burnley 2-0. Leeds, big win for them, 3-1 over Leicester. Um, 3-1 in the game between West Ham and Liverpool. That went, of course, in favour of Liverpool. And finally, on Sunday afternoon, Brighton got over Tottenham 1-0. So lots to talk about. We'll start with Chelsea. Uh, First win for Thomas Tuchel. Um, As I said, 2-0. But when you think about the fact that Aspilicueta and Marcus Alonso scored. That's must be a little frustrating in the grand scheme of things for Tuchel, do you think? Or, or, or would he just be thinking, thank goodness I got the win?
0: No, I don't think frustrating at all. Actually, it's justification, the fact that he's, that he's gone back to Aspilicueta, Alonso. I know Aspilicueta had played a little bit of late under Frank Lampard. Um, obviously, Alonso was frozen out altogether. Uh, Jorginho Kovacic in midfield wasn't kind of the, the go-to anymore. Um, interestingly, you know, he, he made quite a few changes, Thomas Toichel, from the midweek game. Um, and he brought in Mason Mount uh, ahead of Kai Havertz. Uh, Tim O'Vanus started. So it was a really interesting way of, of moving his team around. I just thought he may stick with Kai Havertz, but he wanted to rotate a little bit. And it worked really, really well. And the fact is, you know, he's got Marcus Alonso coming on. They play with a back three with Rúdiger, Silva, and Aspoli Quetta. And Alonso, is, that's his best. The best system for him to play is with that. And he can be that wing back. And we know that he strikes a ball really well. And he loves to get forward. The question mark over him is about his defensive qualities. However, um, going forward, there's no argument that he's certainly either, you know, delivers his fair share of balls into the box in good areas or gets on the end of things and strikes a wonderful ball.
1: So when you talk about some of those guys that were rotated, I am really glad that we, we're bringing this up because um, I've got to give it to him. I'm really impressed with the fact that he almost um, went into it thinking, right, I've got two games in really close you know, quarters of each other. I don't have a lot of time with these guys going into the Wolves game, then the Burnley mm. game. So I'm almost going to play two different sides. I've got my boys that I, I feel like aren't going to change, You know, probably Silver, uh, Mendy, some of these guys, but then virtually just switch things around. I think it was a really good way of... You know, I think, or do you think that the message that sends to the players is everyone's got a chance? You know, he's in the early stages, he wants to see what everyone can do.
0: I think it's really trying to kind of wipe in the slate clean and saying, right, everybody has an opportunity now to stake a claim. Um, And I I think that's more of the case. You know, we we saw in a frank, I mean, I think Chelsea were like third highest number of changes to their starting at 11 um, throughout the course of the season, sort of at the midway point. I, I just don't think that's sustainable throughout the course of the season. Um, you're generally doing that because you're struggling to find what your best lineup is. Um, I know Chelsea have got a lot of games and they need to have a bit of certain amount of rotation. But I thought there was too much of a rotation. Whereas now for Thomas Tuchel, the challenge is finding the right combinations, getting them firing again, get team of scoring goals as well as Kai Havertz actually delivering. Um, you know, delivering some of the you know the quality that we know we can produce having watched him a lot in the Bundesliga. And I said it last week on the show, you know, it's, I think, you know, we've probably seen Chelsea fans have probably seen about 1% of his quality. Um, and it'll be the manager's job to try and, you know, get up there, you know, bring out
1: the, some of the best qualities of Kai Watz. and And it's, it's going to take a little bit of time. What did you make of Mason Mount's performance? He didn't play or didn't start against Wolves started in that game against Burnley it came across like he was trying really hard, which made, might sound a little silly because, of course, you've got a new manager year of Premier League football. Of course, you're going to try hard. But some of his shots, some of his passes, some of his runs, felt a little forced. Do did, did, did you get that sense at all? Um, could, you know?
0: sometimes with whenever there's a change, well, whenever there's a change, there's a lot of players out there that trying to prove a point. They'll have an extra spring in their step. Mason Mount, obviously, is a young kid. and And I think... He's made me thinking. Right, you know, Frank. Who Frank Lampard's gone. He was the manager that brought me through. He's backed me a hundred percent, and I was kind of his main player to a large degree. Uh, particularly towards the end of the time that Frank was a manager. Now Thomas Tuchel's come in. You're thinking, right? He's going to bring in Kai Havertz a hundred percent. And then what happens in the first game? Kai Havertz plays ahead of Mason Mount. Mason Mount gets dropped to the bench. So I can imagine he's thinking in his head, right? I've got to go out there and I've got to be unbelievable to have a chance to to even start against uh, ahead of Havats uh, regularly. So it can be that you can try too hard. You can try too many things rather than sticking to your strength and just playing, keeping it simple, uh, but doing the simple things really, really well. And uh, you're right, you know, you, you got a little bit carried away and tried to probably do too much and probably wasn't sort of relaxed enough.
1: Mm. Uh, speaking of people that uh, just did the simple things well, Leeds United. And one man, one man in particular, friend of the show. We love him. I've never said anything but good things about Patrick Barford, as I just (laughs) point to a a Pinocchio nose growing. Uh, He was brilliant again. They had that 3-1 win over Leicester. Leicester score first, they then level the playing field. I think it was only under two minutes after that. Uh, A really impressive game against a big top six side, which they've struggled with, Mark, in their their return to the Premier League.
0: Yeah, they have, um, but less, less is, is Leicester a top six side? Yeah, they are, but they're, they're one of the more inconsistent sides. You know, at times they, they look absolutely brilliant and you're thinking, right, Leicester are a genuine chance. I think the last couple of seasons, particularly up until probably around Christmas time, you kind of thought each time, you know what, Leicester are a chance here. And the minute that kind of gets mentioned or, or, or they become a little bit more in the spotlight, they kind of, they falter. Mm. Um, I think for Leicester, for a lot of the players, I think they feel a little bit just um, probably too relaxed, too easy, um, that people are too happy just to be that team that are kind of punching above their weight, so to speak, for a lot of people, that they're there or they're about in the top four, um, but at least trying to qualify for Europe. And and they, they've, they've, kind of, they've kind of stuttered a little bit um, of late. And Brendan Rodgers, you know, this is the big question marks over Brendan Rodgers. You know, at Liverpool, he got to a point the minute they were sort of under that, that spotlight and the pressure was on, they were the side that were there, there to lose the title. They, they struggled with the pressure. Um, at Leicester last season, we saw how badly they fell away. Um, you know, after, actually just before the, 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 the pandemic stopped, the, brought a halt to the season, but then also afterwards. So it's something that, you know, they're going to have to work on. The manager's got to look at himself at times as well and work out, you know, how is he going to keep his players going? How is he going to get... I mean, he's even mentioned after the game against Leeds, he needs an attacking midfield player. When I look at the Leicester squad, even if you look at the lineup that played against Leeds, you know, I mean, Harvey Barnes scored a phenomenal goal um, against Leeds. Really good run. Um, probably about 30, 40, 50 yards out from goal, plays a really good plays a good ball to Madison, Madison first time touch, back to Harvey Barnes really good footwork and slots it away Um, James Madison you know, I I think in the absence of Jamie Vardy you need players like James Madison to step up, he needs Mm. to grab the game by the uh, the scruff of the neck he comes in spits and spurts, he's played some really, really good games and then all of a sudden the next week he drops off again Um, so his biggest issue is his consistency really owning that shirt owning the responsibility of being their main playmaker and i'm sort of kind of yet to see that with him the consistency is his problem but don't get me wrong like he's only been in the premier league now this is only his second season so i think yeah. he's still done incredibly well But there's all you know all this talk of him being the next best thing and the next player to go for play for england yeah maybe but he's not quite there yet certainly his consistency is not there
1: when you look at other squads that might be lacking across the board, but they've got that one-star player to rely on, um, I think when you look at and talk about Leicester's squad, with some of the names you've already mentioned there in Madison and Barnes and even at the back in, in Schmeichel and Soyuncu, they've actually got a pretty good squad, right? But it's pretty amazing to see, you know, <laughs> what they look like when Jamie Vardy's not in the side. You know, it, it can just take one player. It, it, you just see, And even then when you compare... Mm. The, the, you know to, to wolves for example with yeah. without him it is and they just you look like a completely different side sometimes.
0: What Jamie Vardy does though, he he actually creates fear in the opposition, particularly the two centre halves, because he's got that burst of uh, pace. They know that they know that he's more than capable of running in behind you, running off your shoulder, finding those little spots where you know he's kind of at a at a, a little bit of a, a a black spot in in the vision, and it's really hard to pick him up the 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 way that Leicester have played over the last couple of years they have changed a bit of their style however the threat of Jamie Vardy running off people's shoulders and in, in behind is always there so what he does is he he creates doubt in the defenders do they push forward do they push up do they try and you know chase the ball to to a degree put pressure on the ball the centre halves, anyway, they're more more likely to actually drop a little bit because of the fear of allowing Jamie Vardy to run off off their shoulder in behind, and therefore then it creates more space for players like James Madison, for uh, Harvey Barnes, uh, Tillman's to get more involved. But when he's not in the team, there seems to be a lot of players coming in the same direction, coming towards the ball. Perez. Listen, he's a, he's, a, he's a decent player, but he's not a Jamie Vardy. He's not an out-and-out out number nine. He's probably more suited to being either in a number 10 role or one of the wider players, um, but certainly not as a number nine. So, automatically, they lose that extra threat. And, and I think fear uh, sort of like dissipates in the, in the the opposition's defenders because they, they, they kind of know there's not many possibilities of players running in
1: behind. Uh, before we move on, just talking about Leicester... Um and goalkeepers Kasper Schmeichel has just made his 400th appearance for the club. Uh, a, pr- a pretty nice little milestone for him, Mark. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, 2000
0: and what is it? 2014, sorry, 15, 16 season was the first season he played in the Premier League with Leicester. Um, obviously since then they've been a regular, uh, sort of a uh, team in the Premier League and doing incredibly well obviously 15 16 winning the Premier League title. Um and listen he's, I I I'm, I have to say I have to give him credit because I think he's done I think he's exceeded a lot of people's expectations. I certainly didn't think he would uh to you know get to the level he has as consistently as he's been. I thought that um it wasn't possibly quite, you know, achievable for him. But I have to, I have to give him credit. I think he's uh, he's worked hard on his game. He's worked hard on, him, on himself physically. He's, uh, I think, he's realised at the right moment um, that if he wants to play at the highest level for as long as he possibly can, he's going to, you know, he's got to have to do the work on and off the field. Um, and, and I think he's really done that. And I think his game has improved because of it. I think he's, uh, he's certainly one of the most consistent ones in the league. Um, and, uh, you know, he's done a tremendous job there. And I think, you know, that's, why, that's also why he's captain. That's why, I, you know, I can't imagine at all that the club allowing him to leave. Certainly not in the next couple of years. I know he has been linked for, you know, nearly every season with a potential move. I know he's a Man United, massive Man United fan. And there was some talk when De Hare wasn't playing particularly well that maybe, you know, maybe Manchester United were interested in him. But I think I think Leicester's a perfect scenario for him. I think it's a perfect club for him. Um, You know, he's he's one of the biggest characters there, and I think uh, it it suits him as well as the the club. And if you look at the club now, the way that the development of the training ground, the facilities are arguably some of the best, if not the best, in the world at the moment in football. Um, So you know, I suppose for a lot a lot of players, it's a very very exciting place to be right now.
1: When you say that he exceeded expectations, what did he work on in particular? What, what was it that you didn't quite sell it for you in the first place?
0: Well, he certainly worked uh, on his physical aspect. You know, he's, he's someone that was always quite a heavy set guy. And he certainly, uh, I can only gather, I mean, from what I heard as well, he's changed his diet. He's looking after himself a lot better. He's, he's doing more work in the gym. Um, mm-hmm. That's something that he didn't do a lot when I was there. Uh, he was more reluctant, He was relu- heavy, very reluctant to do much work in the gym, um, and I think he, he certainly made a difference. He looks leaner. He looks fitter, um, and with that, I think he he looks even quicker around the goal. Something that he had bursts of pace beforehand, but now he just looks more natural. And, and he certainly has worked on his on his on his technique and his and his goalkeeping on the training field. And I think that's certainly uh, for me, it's noticeable.
1: Final two games on Sunday, Liverpool beat West Ham 3-1. Pretty impressive victory when you think about uh, West Ham's form uh, and some of the key players, obviously, that Liverpool are are missing, particularly in defence. But the the victory that we need to talk about in particular was the 1-0 win for Brighton over Tottenham. Um, I suppose when you look at those sort of anywhere from 4th to 6th and 7th, it was a, a pretty big weekend, really, to make up that table, what with you know, Leicester losing, as we just touched on. Um, but particularly for Brighton, they, they're still now in 17th uh, spot, um, 21 points uh, with Fulham behind them uh, with 14 points. So that is one monumental victory when I think in 17 games' time, mate, we could probably look back and go, that was either, you know, hopefully for them, uh, the start of something really positive it's a
0: huge result because they hadn't won for so long at home. Um, That in itself is major. Um, It kind of, it relieves a lot of pressure. Um, It also gives the team a lot of confidence beating a team like Spurs um, at home, sort of creating that gap between themselves and Fulham. Fulham obviously obviously have a game, game in hand on Brighton, but you know, Fulham haven't won. I don't know how many weeks it is now they haven't won a game. So you know when you 're down that end of the table, winning games is really hard to come by, and it 's so important to get those points on the board sooner rather than later. Brighton needed that win desperately. Um, Brighton played some really nice football, uh, but at times they 've been really poor in their execution they haven't they haven 't taken advantage of their opportunities, nor have they taken advantage of their possession um, and and that 's been a problem for them I mean last week against Fulham, they had some unbelievable chances i have to say. Um, you know, Ariella in goal was was, was very, very good. Um, and uh, it was very tough uh, tough day for Fulham, but they had the backs against the wall, but but he played very, very well. So for Brighton, that win, lifting them up a little bit further away um, could be, you know, it'll set them on the right path, I think. And the fact is, I, I just think the bottom three are going to be the bottom three come the end of the season. I just don't, I don't see anything changing. Yeah. Um, I was going yeah. to
1: ask you that when you look at Sheffield United with eight points, West Brom twelve, and then Fulham fourteen, you know where are these some of these guys going to get four wins from? Do you think in the next seventeen?
0: Well, the problem the problem you've got for for teams like Sheffield United is eight points, right? So what? I mean, it's it's ridiculous. It's thirteen points adrift. You know, so I mean, it, it's 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 four wins, and you're still one point behind Brian. <laughs> <laughs> four wins in a Like, you know, if you talk about the next four games, if Sheffield United were win the next four games in a row, they'd still be a point behind Brighton so long as Brighton lost their the next four games in a row. Yeah. And and that's what you're talking about. So I, I, for Sheffield United, it's just – I think it's beyond them now. Um, I really do. I, I wish I was wrong. I mean, maybe, listen, I might be proven wrong, but I, I, I doubt it. West Brom. I mean, even West Brom, you look at it, they're nine points adrift from safety. Um this 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 these last couple of hours in the day or you know are potentially the deciding factor on whether or not West Brom have any hope in the world of
1: staying up and the same with Fulham hey Mike we turn our attention to to a competition that uh, is going to be on Optus Sport which I'm very much looking forward to Club World Cup and I'm sure you are itching to talk about Bayern Munich you love we know you love Bayern Munich uh and they are going to take the you know what, I think, <laughs> when it comes to the Club World Cup. Imagine that. Seriously, you'd just be sitting there going, do we really have to play Bayern? Like, oh, come on. They're, it will be very, very difficult for some of the uh, teams uh, that are in the Club World Cup. Um, but looking forward to the entertainment on Opta Sport.
0: Yeah, that's going to be very, very. Um... Very exciting in terms of seeing where other teams around the world, how they're able to compare with the likes of Bayern Munich. The only thing I'd say is like Liverpool obviously took it very, very seriously last season um, and they were desperate to win it. And, and obviously they did win it. Um, it, just, it. I would just wonder where does it rank for a team like Bayern, for a club like Bayern? Um, I, I suppose, you know, when I was at Chelsea, it didn't matter what you played in. They are all important. So you play play the European Super Cup. Uh, We played in uh, Prague um, uh, and we ended up losing the the final and we actually went to penalties. And that was still a massive game. It was something that the club were desperate to try and win. It was another piece of silverware that the club desperately wanted to win. So I could imagine for Bayern, they're there, they have to uh, partake in it they'll be doing everything they possibly can to try and win it. You know, players like, you know, uh, Robert Lewandowski, Thomas Muller, they, they may think, you know, this may be the last opportunity we have of winning, you know, the World Club Cup. And, uh, and, and they'll be doing everything they possibly can to try and win it.
1: And I think even for, you know, guys like Hansi Flick and his sort of, you know, short career as um, uh, Bayern Munich boss. You know, that's just another one to add to the CV. And I think when you look at the Bundesliga table as well, you know, they're currently on top. Um, seven points clear from from Leipzig um, and then 10 points clear from Wolfsburg in third spot so you know there's room room Mm. to play some serious guys in this you'd think
0: yeah that that, that's right and I mean you know for Bayern it's a little bit of normality uh, in the Bundesliga um, of late I mean they they've uh, they they did have a couple of wobbles Um, they've lost two games this season which I think if you look at their record last season, particularly since Hansi Flick took over, uh, two losses is, pr- is a lot for Bayern. <laughs> yeah, um, you know they're, they're they're a top top side. It's going to be interesting as well because there's a there's a you know there's obviously a lot of rumours about uh, Alaba whether he's going to leave the club. Uh, allegedly, he's rejected the the, the the latest offer from Bayern Munich to to sign um, I just read some stats about. I think he's won the Bundesliga title nine times, uh, Champions League twice with Bayern. Like it's pretty unbelievable, really. I mean, I know Bayern have been cleaning up for years, and 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 and, and you kind of expect a lot of Bayern players to to have amassed a lot of trophies. Um, but he's a, he's a fantastic player. I think he's only 27 years old, so. It'd be interesting to see, looks like he's going to be leaving. So it depends on how they adjust. But Bayern are already looking and planning ahead. Um, the latest is that they're, they're, they're seriously um, considering, well, actually, they're in talks with Upamecano Meccano from Leipzig. Um, you love him, don't you?
1: You're a big fan of him.
0: I, I am. I think he's a really good player. Um, and, and in fact, I think he's his partner at, uh, at Leipzig. I actually am a bigger fan of his partner, uh, Kunate. Um, but but ubamecano is the one that everyone's talking about and i think he's he's got a buyout clause i think he's around 40 million euros so it's a it's a decent amount of money um, yeah. and if they get him and replace so there's a replacement for for daniel uh, for alaba i think then it's a it's a really good bit of business um, even though obviously they're going to they're going to lose money on, on on well not lose money i mean he's going alaba's going to leave on a, on a free um, but i think for for buying what's important is that they they'll continue to go. Bayern are a massive massive club, one of the best destinations in Europe, you know. And and they'll always have a lot of opportunities to 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 bring players in. There'll be so many players desperate to go there. Um, so yeah, uh, I I've got no no concerns in that regard. But it's just whether or not how, how they go from now into the season, how they deal with the fact that David uh, Alaba will possibly be leaving. Um, obviously, they lost Thiago. Um, last summer. So, you know, there's going to be a little bit of a change in your guard potentially, at Bayern.
1: Uh, and just to wrap up from the Club World Cup, do you think, um, sort of if we we go down one step to the Asian Champions League, will we see another Australian team in the Club World Cup? Or certainly in the next foreseeable future? Because you've you, you got to think, it, you get the sense, you know, for someone who doesn't watch a lot of Asian football, um, but, you know, a little bit, but some of these leagues around Asia are quite clearly strengthening and Australia feels like it's stagnated a little But So do you think that it'll be a while or, or am I being a little bit too pessimistic on that?
0: Um, I, I just think, you know, I know a lot of the times when you, when they talk about, um, you know, the, the Aussie teams playing in the, in the Asian Champions League, playing against the Japanese sides or the Saudis or various teams from the Middle East, just when you talk about um, uh, budgets from the Mm. opposition, it's phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. And that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to win, have success, but geez, it goes a long way in helping you. When Western Sydney Wanderers won it, I mean, listen, they did incredibly well to win it, but geez, they had a lot of luck. They hung on. Um, They rode their luck. Some plays were unbelievable. Ante at times was just unbeatable it's kind of almost at this moment in time, almost like you you look at it, Sydney FC are arguably the best team in Australia and have been for a number of seasons now and they struggle in the Asian Champions League. So I think that's how far away they still are and a long, long
1: way away. Um, But we have had, of course, some success in Asia because last week, Mark, was the anniversary of the Socceroos winning uh, the Asian Cup and and looking at some of the photos and now that, of course, Matty Ryan's an Arsenal player, of course, follow him now. Uh, he's won me over and he was uh, posting some of the memories. A few of my, you know, Facebook memories pop up. I was in Europe at the time. So I was watching it overnight and it was, it was very cool. It was a seriously good moment because it, you just start to think, um, you know, sometimes you do think and worry that you're not going to see the who's lift the trophy. You know, that's natural to, to be afraid of that. So it was a beautiful, it was a beautiful day.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's why, that's another reason why joining Asian Confederation was so important. You know, it's, it's major trophies, major tournaments to try and win. Um, it, it, it pushes you more because the levels of competition are greater. Um, being in Oceania, listen, is difficult because the level of football by comparison to where we've, we, we went to, where we've become, where we are right now is far, far superior than the rest of the teams around Oceania. We know how many times we win the Oceania. Um, cup, you know, win that region, yeah. and and nobody really even recognizes it. So to win the Asian Cup was a phenomenal accomplishment. Obviously, the, the four years prior to that, we we finished runners up uh, in Qatar. Felt that we should have probably, you know, we felt that we should have won. We dominated the game, didn't take our chances, and then got hit with a sucker punch. But four years later, on home soil, the, the guys, you know, did incredibly well and deserved to win it. You know, a lot of a lot of pressure playing on home soil um but they did it and uh they, they it's great it's great to see photos like that it's great to see the socceroos lifting major trophies being successful um but unfortunately it hasn't really been the stepping stone you kind of wished it would be um we, we kind of haven't pushed on it was the same as qualifying for the world cup in 2006 world cup we've never really pushed on since then um and and that's the only disappointment from it but listen it's still phenomenal that we're qualifying each time and we have qualified every time for the World Cups and long may it continue. Won't be long, I promise. Back to Ollie and Mark in just 15 seconds. If you enjoy Two Sharp Reds though, make sure you search The and Pod wherever you get your podcasts. David Weiner is joined by thousands of games of experience both on and off the field. It's a great listen. G-E-G-E-N-P-O-D, The
1: and Pod. Okay, back to Two Sharp Reds. Halftime drinks here on the Two shot Reds. If I just try another sip of the Snoop Dogg strain, the Cali Red uh, 19 crimes, uh, I need to have a big sip because it's with a very heavy heart, of course, Mark. You'll notice I didn't bring this up um, you know, through the week. Of course, the big game uh, for us in our world match day 16 between Dandytown uh, and uh, your, your guys, the Somerset Trojans, called off. Game was no. called off in the Bermudan Soccer League. Uh, oh, no good. What happened? Who knows? <laughs> just disappeared, and it's just, there's no news. It just didn't happen uh, for the looks of things. So but we'll have to wait for for another match day to to, to have the, the Inter Two Sharp Reds Bermudan it- Derby.
0: I I forgot all about checking the result and I thought you were going to tell me my team won and that's the way you kind of started it. And then I was getting really, really excited
1: and ready to give you some stick. Um, Uh, Yeah. yeah. No, absolute heartbreak. Um, What an anticlimax. Hey, Mark, let's talk transfer deadline day. It's a little bit of a difficult one uh, for us because at time of recording, we've still got, well, how long have we got in the UK? About four or five hours to go uh, until the end of... Uh, transfer deadline day. So I think we can safely say there's a few deals on the line that have been agreed in principle that we can feel probably comfortable at least t- talking about. But uh, you know what, if it doesn't go through, I'll just edit it out anyway. So not an issue. <laughs> so let's talk about some of these deals. Obviously we knew that this transfer window would be quiet for a number of reasons. One, or- already pretty much always is uh, during January. You really only get two or three high-profile high people across Europe uh, leaving. But, of course, because of the pandemic, uh, the old uh, purse strings are a little tighter. Um, the interesting one from a Premier League standpoint has always been what Liverpool are going to do to shore up their defence. You've got some seriously good players... Uh, like Jordan Henderson, who is fine to fill in every now and again, but when you're trying to win the title, you can't be putting him out of position like that. So there's a few no. names uh, that they're wanting to get. I suppose I want to ask you is the difficulty for them trying to, I mean, yes, it's Liverpool, right? So I'm assuming lots of people are going to find it very difficult to say no to going to Liverpool, but it must be difficult to find a young player who knows they might only get, let's say for argument's sake, 10, 12 games in, and then, when certain guys come back, you know, notably Virgil van Dijk, they're going to then be third or fourth fiddle.
0: Um, yeah, to a large degree. I mean, obviously, uh, what what looks pretty much already certain that's going to happen is that Ben Davies going from Preston well, again, North End. He's going from Preston North End to uh, Liverpool, and, and again, that is a case of desperately needing to get cover. Twenty five years old, um, supposedly signed a pre contract with uh, Celtic. Up in Scotland, uh, but has opted to sign for for Liverpool now, and and uh, I I think what's happened is there, you know, certainly uh, playing Jordan Henson midfield uh, from midfield in center half is it, listen, he, he, like you said, he can do he can do a really good job. He's versatile enough to do so, but then you lose so much in midfield, and ultimately when you come against come up against the better teams, the the, the good teams. Henderson's also going to be found out as a centre half. He's not a centre half. That's definitely not. It. I think that uh, you know H- Henderson's uh, is, is a player that is far better in midfield than he is playing at centre half. Uh, Fabinho, I think, is probably the one of the two. Obviously, he's played there longer. Um, is is capable of staying there, and they're able to adjust well enough and still be able to to be good enough to to win the league with him playing centre half as well. But they need some more cover. Um, Nat Phillips has struggled at times. Rhys Williams as well, um, and obviously yo know, Mat- Matip. I mean, gosh, talk about you know breakable, unbreakable. Is that the film?
1: Um, yeah. He's yeah, um, yeah,
0: like unbelievable. Just how how many times he's injured, and yeah. supposedly now out uh, longer term with a serious injury. So that's a big loss for Liverpool um, in so many ways. More so because of the current situation. But saying that how much time have they been able to, to, to have your know, Matip mat fit and in the team anyway. So it's no great surprise. His whole time, I think, has been pretty much marred by, by various injuries. Um, so yeah, centre-half, and people have been crying out for ages saying, you know, Liverpool have to go out there and do something about it. And what always surprises everyone, and it does also surprise me to a large degree, is why do they wait so late into the transfer window?
1: Why do they wait to the last minute? And particularly when some of these guys you're going for aren't particularly, you know, the highest of quality. So surely you could wake up tomorrow and go out and get some of these guys if you're Liverpool.
0: Yeah, you would think so. But it's, it's all gamesmanship. It's trying to get the right amount of money for them. Waiting till the last minute, coming in with an offer that, that you feel is more appropriate for that sort of player. Um, the club's going to make a decision there and then because if they turn it down, that's it. They've missed out. In the case mm. of Ben Davies, they're going to get nothing at the end of the sea- season. Um, uh, with Ozan Kabak, he's a, a very, very talented young player, 20 years old, um, of Turkish descent. He's He has struggled as well, though, in the Bundesliga. Mm. But he struggled because the team have been so poor, Schalke. They've been incredibly poor. Um, so he's one of their valuable assets. The club are in all sorts of issues financially off the pitch and on the pitch. They're, they're in a desperate position. Unlikely, I think, at this stage, to stay up. I, I just can't see it. Getting rid of their best players again. Uh, Winston McKenney loaned out earlier on in the season. Looks like Ozan Kabak, their next best player, being loaned out again. Uh, Liverpool option then to buy him in the summer. The loan fee is not even huge; it's like one million, rising mm. to one point five million, depending on on uh, in potential add-ons and so forth. So that in itself is strange. You know, why would Shaka? Are they that desperate that they need a million, million and a half pounds? Um, that's bizarre. That that really does surprise me. It's different if Liverpool came in and said, "Like, listen, we'll give you a loan fee of five million pounds." I can kind of understand a little bit more that Shaka going right. Okay, we'll take that
1: boris yeah I, I understand what you 're saying, but then we 're assuming that is, when that deal goes through and it looks like um to you know uh, it looks like it's uh, to, according to principle it's, it's happened but um Mustafi would go the other way is the is the, you know we 're sort of reading right now via Sky news that uh, his contract's been terminated at Arsenal. Uh, he would then sign a short term deal i mean if you 're going to get anyone in you know losing a, you know someone in that position mustafi 's a pretty decent you know, a person to bring in, to be honest, for a struggling Schalke side.
0: Well, that's, that's apparently why the deal was, the deal was dependent on Shaka being able to get that replacement. And yeah, I, I absolutely. But still, you know, I don't know. I mean, it, it's, you don't know what's going on behind the scenes. Clearly the, the club's in crisis and has been in a crisis for a long, long time. Um, and it's just a shame to see it because it's, it's a phenomenal club, but it's just in a, in such a bad, bad way right now. And the decisions on off the pitch, are incredibly strange and have been for a long, long time. And it's no surprise that they are where they are because of ongoing bad decisions that have been made.
1: Lots of loan moves going in and around uh, England uh, across all levels. We know um, Glenn Murray, he's gone uh, to Nottingham Forest, uh, which is a, a decent move for them, but I want to ask you about one of your favourites. Yeah, I know you've got a few signed posters, lots of footy cards. You like to swap them with your mates. Uh, try and get the, this guy in, Xerxy from from Bayern Munich, um, off the Palmer, I believe.
0: Yeah, he signed uh, on loan until the end of the season, and Palmer actually has an option to buy him for 15 million euros. That that actually just really surprises me because. Whenever he's played for Bayern, he's done really, really well, scored goals. Um, so either Bayern have realized or decided that he is not of the Bayern Munich uh, level. Maybe the player has had falling outs. You, you just don't know. But I still find that a bit low, the price, 15 million euros, to agree that sort of fee. I, I would have thought he'd be worth a bit more than that. Um, I think he's a very talented young man. I suppose uh, you know Bayern are in the best position to know whether or not they believe he's at that level. You know you you got to understand Bayern's level um, is so high. It's a bit like it's a bit like Chelsea's a couple of years ago. That's why it was so difficult for young players to make that break breakthrough into the first team because the level of performance, the level of ability that a player needs to have to get into that team is so so high because the expectation to deliver to win silverware is 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 so. So huge. Um, the pressure's there, they need to deliver every season. Chelsea was the same, and it is it's kind of to a large degree the same. Um, they've only benefited in so many ways from from not being able to buy a you know, deal in the transfer window. So Bayern obviously have decided he's not quite at the level that we need him to be. So can is he a player that could replace effectively Robert Lewandowski? Or at least you know, make a mark as a number nine, as the regular number nine for Bayern Munich in a year or two's time. But then also, Xerxes might go, you know what, I don't want to wait that long. I want out now. I want to go and play. It's my time now. And that could well be the case. And it seems like it was probably more the case.
1: So much uh, going on in the world of transfers. And uh, by the time that the window wraps up make sure you go across to all Optus Sports social media accounts and they'll have all the comings and goings and the official signings uh, as the window winds down. Now, before we start to wind down, Mark, I thought I'd uh, introduce something a little special. I thought this was an appropriate time to do so. I've got a few questions for you here, but I want to do a Premier League mid-season awards do. So, you know, put your tie on, (coughs) bow tie, raise your champagne. I want to know... Who's been the best signing so far, um, you know, signing from um, the start of the season? Worst signing? And then we're going to do a most improved and a most disappointed. I want to know those. So, you can have a moment, but drumroll, please. Best signing so far in the mid-season award. Who does it go to? I
0: think... <laughs> You know, you you look at the signings that have that have occurred throughout the course, uh, well, since the start of the season, and there really is... Mm, there's two players that probably come to mind um, straight off the bat. Diego Jota at Liverpool, and then Hoiberg uh, at Tottenham. Mm. Um, and I'm just trying to think, is there anyone else? Is there anyone else that has really... James would probably
1: up. make a statement. You'd think at Everton.
0: Yeah, but he, 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 first four or five games, absolutely. But then he got injured, dropped off a little bit. Hasn't been that. Hasn't made the same impact. Um, Guilfrey Sigerson's probably been the better signing.
1: It's yeah. almost like
0: he's been. He's almost like he's been reborn, you know, because yeah. of James Rodriguez has come. He's found himself out of the team, and then he's back again. And he's. He, I think he's been better a lot better than what we've seen in the past. As well as start, as good a start as Jota's had. Yeah. I think the fact that Hoiberg has played pretty much every game, mm-hmm. I think he's had a bigger impact now, purely because of playing so many more games. If Jota had played and continued to play like he had been, he would have been winning it hands down. Mm-hmm. But the fact he's been injured... Um, And Ollie Watkins has got to – have to mention him as well because I think he's done really, really well. But I'm going to have to give it to Hoiberg because I think think he's had probably the biggest impact out of all those plays
1: because of the amount of games he's played. Well, congratulations to Tottenham Hotspur and Hoiberg there. And that brings us on to the worst signing, Mark. Mid-season, this potentially could change. It hurts me to say this. It it really does pay
0: me to say it. Yeah. I just think there's only one real winner here. I don't think well, winner, loser. Yeah. I don't yeah. think there's anyone that comes close potentially. Okay. Um, I don't know. Are you, do you do you know who I'm going to mention?
1: Uh, um, I've got a few in mind though, so I, I'm surprised that there's one out now. Well, there's one that just failed. pops
0: out. One one of them's just jumped at me. The minute you said it, I went, "Oh, that's easy." Go on. Go on. Kai Havertz. Yeah. Yeah. Is that is that fair?
1: Yeah, super fair. Yeah, yeah.
0: I, I just you know, <laughs> so many things. You know, listen, transfer fee is not his problem. It's not his fault. Um, but the whole package, you know, he hasn't delivered. And I said it last week: one percent so far. You've seen of his ability. Um, it's not good enough for that mm. for that type of player. You know, and and I, when I say it, I'm, not, I'm trying to say it the nice possible way, not good enough. It, it isn't. And I'm sure he's feeling incredibly frustrated. He had COVID. He struggled to get back from it, and then obviously. Didn't quite go to plan with Frank. Obviously, you know, losing his job. That's all changed. Hopefully for the second half of the season, we'll see more of the genuine Kai Havertz. But at the moment, I think he's probably, he's been, yeah, he's been the one that's been the most disappointing from all the signings that have been made.
1: I, I was going to give mine to Ann. I think he's been a, a bit of a shocker, to be honest. But uh, when, you, I, I, when you tell me about Havertz there and you think of all the things combined... I think yeah. probably I, I, think,
0: I just think that William played the first couple of the season, games of the season really well. Yeah. He's probably played four or five really good games with, with, with Arsenal at the beginning. Yeah.
1: I don't remember Kai Havertz actually having a really good game. Well, commiserations to Chelsea Football Club and Kai Havertz on the worst signing of the mid-season Premier League Awards. Two last categories we've got here uh, on this night of nights. Uh, most Improved. So, this is someone that uh, I'm going to say has to have at least had a year in the Premier League uh, prior, uh, and he's been the most improved. Who have you got?
0: Okay. Again, it jumped out at me as soon as you said it. Uh, and it's going to go to another Tottenham player.
1: Ooh. Yeah. Belly. Yeah.
0: I think he's, he's, like a, he's like a new signing. He's, been like, he's a changed man. He's kind of like he's producing now what we'd expected him to produce when he first signed from Lyon. Um, and I think you know, he's really obviously struggled. He struggled under, under Pochettino. Then Jose Mourinho came in and it looked like certainty. He's going to be out the door. He's going to go. There was even talk of him leaving in the summer. I think the fact that the pandemic was rife was a big reason why he probably didn't go anywhere. Had there been a normal season, I wouldn't have been surprised if he'd been out the door. But he's he's been he's a changed man, and he's been a, a, I think he's done really really well for him.
1: Well, I was never going to give it to someone from Tottenham. It's just not in really my DNA. So I was having a look. I was sort of thinking John Stones possibly could have had it for mine. Uh, yeah, and maybe even Luke Shaw at this stage as well. I've been
0: really, really impressed with. I'm not sure about Luke Shaw, but John Stones I think is a is a good one. Uh, I, I certainly think that's a that's definitely a strong candidate. The thing is, you, it really it's you, you can't give it to a Liverpool player because they've been so bloody good for the last eighteen yep. months to two years. I mean, th- there wasn't anyone that needed to improve. No. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, a- how can you give it to a Liverpool player? Um, Arsenal have been so so. There's no one really that have kind of. Broken through and been unbelievable. In is,
1: Tini, I think, as well, probably. Lacazette, maybe.
0: Lacazette yeah. is a is a is a shout, maybe as well.
1: Um, Rob Holding, uh, actually, i probably in that scenario. Yeah, but now you're scraping the barrel, maybe. Oh no, you? we're talking most improves. Yeah, you know, no, it doesn't have still, to be. Come on, come on.
0: Let, let's well, be honest.
1: Well, congratulations there uh, to in and Tottenham as we go on to our final character, uh, character, final character. Oh, wow, the final. Uh, section of the night, category it was the word I was looking to, uh, for there Mark so this is why I shouldn't, I will never uh, you know, MC an awards night it would just, at least I can edit that out <laughs> you know, can't edit, edit a, a live one out um, but most disappointing player in terms of, I'm going to use the same um, rules for most improved, they had to have at least have had a year uh, in the Premier League, who do you feel has been the biggest disappointment so far that has a track record um, there's got to be uh, there's big time one. I think there's. I gone. Who is it? Kepper. He's got, got to be the biggest disappointment. Yeah, but last season
0: he was poor this season. So
1: he wasn't that poor changed. last season though.
0: Like he was poor, but he wasn't. I thought he was as well. No, I thought he was as well. Yeah. Okay. I I, I was going to go with there's there's, there's two. I was going to go to, uh, actually uh, as overall I was going to go with two teams, one of two teams. Oh, interesting. Okay, Wolves or Sheffield United? Yeah, I think you've got to go with. I think you've got to go with Sheffield United. I mean, been it's been painstaking, painstakingly bad to watch. Um, you know, eight points after what is it, nineteen games, twenty games? You know, they'll they'll they they will not be the worst ever because. Derby will hold on to that. They'll retain that that honour. Um, I mean, the result away at Manchester United was was fantastic, considering so many things. Um, but, yeah, they've got to be, so far, the biggest disappointment.
1: Well, commiserations and congratulations for all the, the winners and, and technically the losers of the Premier League mid-season awards night here in the Two Sharp Reds. And, um, you know, we'll bank these. We'll remember who we, we had uh, up on the podium and then... In seventeen games' time, Mark, we'll, we'll have a look back and, and see if, hopefully, for the disappointing ones and the worst signings, that something's changed, and hopefully for the positive winners, that they can maintain what's been a great year so far. That's uh, yeah. al- almost uh, about it here on the Two Shot Reds, Mark. So let's go back to the wine. Uh, we like to just uh, wrap it up. Um, and and compare our wine to a player, past or present. You've gone for a, an Italian wine that also you thought was French for a bit there, but then it turns out it was made in Norwich as well. So uh, you're sort of a little bit all over. No, it place. Was, it's
0: distributed. It was just it's distributed by a company in Norwich.
1: Oh, that still counts. It's still funny. It's yeah. <laughs> it's enough for yeah, me. But it's not
0: made in Norwich.
1: I've gone for the uh, the 19 Crimes Snoop Dogg strain, the Cali Red. Uh, from the Napa Valley, and I have to say, didn't really like it, uh, but I love the gag, so I'll I'll probably buy it again. But way too sweet. <laughs> but Cali Reds, okay. and California Reds in general, I find for me because they've been uh, canned dyed as well, so they're all their fruits okay. have been preserved by like a oh. uh, syrup. Um, no. So, yeah. Yeah. So. It kind of. See, you know, I, I've, takes a, away. I've had some
0: really good reds though, Californian reds. I don't, I don't think they're all that sweet. I don't. No, I,
1: I, not always. Not always. Definitely not. Yeah. Um, so, my Snoop Dogg strain of the 19 Crimes, nice, full, dense with strong black and blue fruit notes up top, complemented by bright red, slightly. Can dyed and, in my mind, candid is the way I read that the first time around. So just watch out for that in the comparison because I think I'm going to stick with candid. Uh, flute ravers in the background. This darkly toasted oak ties it all together uh, with a slightly sweet uh, finish. I'm going to say a very sweet finish um, for, for my taste buds at least. But there are a few words here that stand out when comparing this uh wine to a player dense and full this has to be the f- most dense and full person i've ever seen put on a football shirt so it's uh, a herculean effort to be able to put a shirt on this guy a little bit like i can't imagine how you'd get a shirt on because it's been common knowledge now that uh you can't touch your, your shoulders so it's i'm sure this guy can't even put his hands up that's how full and dense this guy is very very strong um but uh, with with a, with a sw- slightly sweet finish, you know, he, he he's an attacking player, he's a striker, but overall, I just don't think he's you know, when I when you think of a sweet finish, uh, and this guy, I don't think that goes hand in hand. So slightly sweet, I'll give. Uh, and then I did initially read it as as candid uh not can but you know originally when i thought candid this guy speaks incredibly candid uh you know we've seen him when okay. uh, a few of his teams have been promoted uh, the ways you know uh, address the media uh, so let's just pretend for argument's sake it's not candid it's candid i'm gonna have to go for the great man akin Fenwa.
0: big big Huge. man friendly giant um Always plays with a smile on his face. And, yeah, I'm sure he can't touch his shoulders either because he's no massive, yeah. massive. And I, I mean, he he mentioned or posted something about how he bench presses and it's like stupid amount of weight that he can bench press.
1: He'd, he'd, Insane. He'd be, he'd be able to bench press you, you would have thought.
0: Oh, uh, easy, easy. Yeah. Absolutely. You and
1: me? Or, or do I tip the scales a bit?
0: You probably took yeah, the scare. I yeah, oh, reckon you probably could. No, I reckon you probably could.
1: Jesus, what what are you? 120 kg? <laughs> 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 <Wow>. <laughs> Meow's back. Brilliant. Now talk me through your Italian red. Listen,
0: um, this is one of the first times that I've not been a real big fan of this. Yeah, um mate. You know, it's not been the, the kind of wine. I mean, I, I normally am pretty easy easy to please, you know. It doesn't take a lot. And uh, this cab sab uh, says it adds structure and body. Didn't feel any of that. If wow. anything, I felt the body looked, felt like it was broken. Oh, no. Didn't feel like there was any structure to it whatsoever. Um, I suppose it's not something you necessarily uh, associate with Italians, being structured and, and disciplined no. and... And, uh, you know, being on their game, it's not something that you kind of tend to associate with. them. they're generally more passionate and off the cuff in a lot of ways. Um, freshness, nah, didn't feel the freshness. It felt like it was, again, a reoccurring bad dream of something that wasn't, uh, that had probably been left open too long and it was corked. Sure. And it's probably um, no good anymore. Maybe it was good at one stage, but it's not good anymore. That's the okay. kind of taste it has to it yeah um so yeah i mean it's it's something that yeah okay maybe like i said if it were any good that you could share with friends but i think he's being very isolated now because he's broken he's got no more freshness anymore so he's going to be isolated he's going to be very lonely yeah Um, but they're going to soldier on and try and repair him but it's they'll repair him and he'll get back and probably break down
1: again Okay. You know
0: know what I'm talking about.
1: I've got two in my mind, Uh, based off what we were talking about earlier. Jean Matip could potentially be a shout.
0: Well, that's who it is, actually. It It is okay. Yeah, Jean (laughs) Matip. Um, You know, when he first signed, I thought, you know, this is an interesting one. I saw him a little bit in Germany. Yeah, decent player. Thought it'd be interesting to see how he adapts at Liverpool. And I always felt that, having watched a lot of the Liverpool games live, um. Jurgen Klopp just always seemed to be on his case, was never convinced he's the right type of player, like complaining about him taking too long on the ball. Uh, making the wrong decisions, screaming from the touchline. And obviously during the COVID pandemic, you see it even more when you've got the opportunity, had the opportunity to be there on the very few occasions that he actually has played if he's been fit. And if you think about this season, it's been horrendous for him. I feel for him. Oh, I feel really bad. I mean, joke aside, you know, the wine and that. But it, it's, uh, it's a real shame for him because any player that gets injured so often is is, is clearly... It's not necessarily the individual. It's something structurally. It's something biomechanical.
1: Uh, Look, disappointing end for us both. You know, first time that we've both not been over the moon about our wines. But that's the joy of the two shut reds. It is going to always be a bit of a lucky mix, a bit of a a pick pick and mix, uh, if you will. And, And generally, over the course of a year, we've done really well. So fingers crossed, Mark. We'll settle down. We'll separate for a week. We'll come back together and hopefully have a really nice bottle each.
0: Let's hope so, mate. Let's, let's, let's try and pick a bit wiser next time. And uh, hopefully we can be both very, very pleased and satisfied with our next choice.